The following presentation is brought to you by KMmedia.pro. Please visit KMmedia.pro for more information. Now stay right where you are as we present. Welcome to Positive Talk Radio, evolving ideas, one conversation at a time. Great guests, dynamic stories and interviews, plus new thoughts on a wide range of topics and concepts. I hope that you'll hang with me, Kevin McDonald, my friends, and of course, you, as together we work to understand why we are all here and what we can do to make our world a better place for all of us to be happy, be kind, and live in peace together. Yep, that's Positive Talk Radio. Talk Radio, and I, my name is Kevin McDonald, and welcome to the show, everybody. We've got a great guest for you today, and uh, we are going to be talking to DDS, and we're talking coaching. We're talking executive coaching in a lot of different aspects of it. Uh, he's got a company, and if you'd like to follow along, go to Soul Trained with an ED at the end.com, and you can look at his website and, and see all of his team that he has working with him. And uh, some some really cool stuff. So if you go there, that'd be great. With that, I'd like to welcome DDS to the show. How are you, my friend? I am doing very well for a Monday. Thank you, Kevin. I, I know it was a great weekend. Did you enjoy your your Easter, or your Passover, or or none yes, of those? Thank you. Yes, thank you. I I had a weekend where I didn't work, which is um, which is great. <laughs> which in your world is kind of rare, isn't it? It it is kind of rare. It is kind of rare because you work you work a lot because you are and you're working with you know executives and people in leadership um, and trying to create their brand, which you do all the three of those things. It, yeah, uh, it, yeah. Oh, it's, sorry, it's hard. No, that's all right. It's it's hard, isn't it? To because there's they work a lot of hours. Yeah, well, it's it's not it's not just soul trained. Um, I mean, soul trained is my main um, my main work, but I also run a a, a psychotherapy private practice, um, and so I uh, and I'm also an adjunct professor teaching graduate students to who are who are training to become therapists. So, and I'm also studying a PhD in human sexuality. So, with all of that going on, plus, you know, I'm I'm married. And I need to spend time <laughs> with my husband, so <laughs> so there isn't a lot of time, you know. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, your partner is one understanding human being. I'll tell you that. That is very, very true. I I am definitely punching above my weight. <laughs> I I I wouldn't say that because you are so so. You know, the coaching is is the one aspect of it, and you've got a team that does that. But you're also in school, and you're also a, a therapist, and you're studying se uh, human sexuality. What must that be like? Yeah, I mean, it's um, so. I, I think you know, we've um, a lot of the world has heard of a of a topic called critical race theory, which really understands and and teases apart the complexity around racial identity and um, how race shows up in our day to day life. Well, the PhD in human sexuality that I'm that I'm studying, um, it, it looks at critical sex studies. So really understands gender, like explores 
um, topics of gender and uh, and sex and sexuality and and how you know how the world that we live in today impacts who we are and 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 how we show up from a gender and sexuality point of view. Have you found over time, if we if we could stay on that topic for just a little bit, if you, sure. if you don't mind, um, have you found over time? Um, I'm a little longer in the tooth than you are, um, but have you found over time that uh, our attitudes towards sexuality and same sex and and the varieties, the wondrous variety that is out there, has <laughs> have have you found that uh, times are changing a little bit? Yeah, I mean, I don't know how much longer in the tooth you are than me, Kevin. I'm, I'm, I'm knocking, I'm knocking on the door of fifty, um, and um, oh, you're too and, kind. You know, I, I was, you know, I, I was, you know, I, I'm a member of the LGBTQ community, um, and I remember um, the days when, you know, it. I, I remember the days when the word queer was used as a slur. And actually, the LGBTQ community have reclaimed that word to, in order to, I think, depathologize, take the take the malevolent power out of it. I grew up in the UK, um, and I remember um, I remember some, you know, a piece of legislation in Margaret Thatcher's government that was called Section Twenty Eight, which, a bit like what's happening in Florida at, at the moment, um, but Section Twenty Eight. Um, banned uh, schools uh, talking about sexuality, particularly homosexuality. Um, I was born in the year that that homosexuality was depathologized by the um, American Psychiatric Association. It was taken out of um, out of a book of mental disorders. So I and and in my lifetime, it has become possible to marry a same sex partner. So for sure, things have changed um, and things have moved on. But without shadow of a doubt, there have been there have been there are places, certainly in America, where it, it, it is it is, you know, there are still a, an absence of legislation protecting members of the LGBTQ community from being fired because of their sexuality. Um, you know, we know members of the trans community are under, uh, uh, you know, are legislation and uh, oppression and marginalization continues from that perspective. So I, I want to say, yes, times have changed and we have moved on. And that's really wonderful. Um, and just as it is with racial inequality, um, with gender inequality, with um, with disability and ableism, we have got we've still got work to do. Simple as that. I, I couldn't agree more. I, I couldn't agree more. Uh, last week, I interviewed a uh, uh, a lady by the name of uh, Velvet Steel. I don't know if you're aware of Velvet Steel. I do uh, know she's, she's she's in Vancouver, and she is a transsexual. And she is and she was talking about all of the issues that that she's had to live with going through life. And uh, oh, let me hold on just a second. Let me do that instead because that's weird. Anyway, um, she's had to. She's her life has had a lot of issues, uh, and with it's anywhere from finding a job to getting equal pay, to and so you know it's it's been really tough for her. And uh, as an example, I remember the day when I graduated from high school in 1975. So that'll date you. Tell you how old I am. Got it. Um, 
we didn't know, we didn't have any sexual or any um, 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 homosexuals in our school. There weren't any. Um, now that's not true. There were, but they were all in the closet, and it was all hush hush. And now, you know, fast forward, you know, fifteen years later, my sons went to school, and they knew some openly gay people, which was really who they were. And and so we've moved forward in that respect a little bit. But yep. we still and it's and quite frankly, it's the younger people that are kind of driving that because for them, it's no big deal. I don't care. You know, yes. that, that's what my yes. sons tell me. It doesn't matter to me um, and stuff. So it's it's moving, but I would like to see it be, be moving a lot faster. And for people like uh, and we don't talk politics much on the show, but but uh, DeSantis in uh, in Florida, um, he really does need to go away. Uh, because that's you know that's not that's not very forward. That's not very positive. That's not very very forward thinking. Wasn't it he or somebody that was saying you're not allowed to say gay in schools? Is that is that? Did you have you heard that one? I have heard that, and yeah, I mean, I I too don't. I I I I always get worried when 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 we start to bring politics into this conversation because it diverts it from the real issues. And, and then all of a sudden it becomes a conversation about the loony left and the raging right. And, and I, I don't know whether that, I don't think that that's helpful. Um, and I also recognize that you can't have a conversation about systemic oppression and marginalization without at some point talking about the politics that support it. Yeah. And, you know, the, the, the stuff that's, I don't know who is behind the legislation, but I know the legislation that is preventing uh, conversations about gender and sexuality in in schools in Florida, which, um, yeah, I, I mean, it's it it is it is it is strange, it is bizarre, um, and because what they mean is you you know when they say you can't talk about sex and gender, what they're actually saying is you can't talk about anything other than heterosexuality and Correct. cisgender, right? You can only talk about what is mainstreamed and what is considered to be acceptable and that which is promoted and, and, um, and put forward in the media and in, you know, in, in the social conditioning that we, that we grow up, grow up in. I saw a beautiful rebuttal to what was happening. Um, I, I follow the I follow the New York City mayor um, on Instagram, and last week or the week before, they posted a slide on Instagram that just had the words "gay" everywhere. It was like "gay, gay, gay, gay," and <laughs> and then in the center it said, "Come to a come to the city where you can say whatever you want to say." Um, and it was it was New York City really supporting the the LGBTQ community and kind of like, you know, being throwing some jibes um, Florida's way. I, I you know, that's why I say that the march towards equality continues um, and we have made progress and and we continue um, to need to make progress so that. Um, and really, this talks about the, you know my my first my, the first book that I published in February, which is all around belonging. Everyone, no matter who they are, no matter what body they're born into, no matter what they believe, no matter where they come from, deserves to feel like they belong. It's a basic human right, 
and 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 as we continue and equality is part of that equity is part of that diversity is part of that inclusion is part of that but when it what it all comes down to is what i believe to be a basic human right um and a primal need is that of belonging i couldn't agree more because number one in 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 my world we are all energy um we are all come from the same place uh, regardless of our skin color, who we love, any of that. Um, and I, but what concerns me greatly is when you have clearly, you, you have kids that are finding out in their early teens that they don't think like their buddies do necessarily. And they've got a different viewpoint on stuff yeah. and they're attracted to different people. And then you shut it down. as being bad or then then that leads to a bigger dysfunction in that community would that be fair to say it would be very fair to say it would be very fair to say um you know there's 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 many many peer-reviewed articles uh aspects of research out there that that will that will tell us that as young people um are become aware of um, race um, and gender and sexuality as early as the age of three. And yet we question when is the right time to start talking about race and sex and gender. And I always think, you know, I, I think it's sometimes really funny that when we can sexualize young people as as young as four or five, if you see a little boy playing with a little girl and some well-meaning adult will say, oh, is that your girlfriend or is that your boyfriend to a a four or five year old? And I think, well, we're already therefore talking about relationships and we're already talking about sex and we're already talking about gender. So if it's okay to talk about girlfriend, boyfriend at that age, isn't it okay to be able to talk about boyfriend, boyfriend or girlfriend, girlfriend or partner, partner? I don't know. Um, yeah, I, I don't have that answer either, but I can tell you this, and I've said this before, and somebody's going to write me sooner or later, but that is why we get older and we die because um, the opinions of the opinions of this country are changing and they're changing by the young people because they've grown up their entire lives with, uh, with the gay community and with gay pride and all of that. And it's not a big deal. It doesn't matter. Uh, whereas, and so they have to be taught that it matters and right. by somebody who's, who's <laughs> taking you down the wrong path. And so, you know, I, I, I'm hopeful and I hope it won't take like two generations to make, sure. to make it so that everybody can, can feel good about who they are. Cause that's, that, that I believe is a fundamental human right to feel good about who you are, regardless of, of, of all of that. I agree. I believe if you're human and if you're harmless, the, the the right to psychological safety, the right to be who you are is owed. It is not earned. Exactly. It's, it's, it's part of the growing, it's, it's part of being alive and, uh, and nobody, you can't control who you love. Um, you know, um, it's, it, my, my mother, who's my, who's passed away now, used to say, well, you know, it's if they just didn't do that, that would be fine. And I said, well, 
do what? And she said, <laughs> she said, well, you know, and it's like, well, but what you're saying to them is you're condemning them to a loveless life because you're telling them that they can't love the person that they, that they love. And yes. I'll, <laughs> I'll tell you, I've known some, some gay couples that are more in love than most heterosexual couples that I know because there, there's a, a deep commitment there. And I really wish that we could all just get past it. That's, that's, that's my fundamental hope. I hope so too. So, but the, let's talk more about you and all the things that you do. Tell me about your book. What's the yeah, name of so it? The, yeah. So the book came out in February. It's called, you can be yourself here, your pocket guide to creating inclusive workplaces using the psychology of belonging. Um, and it's really written um, uh, in order to help founders, um, HR people, CEOs, leaders of their of businesses to create a workplace where their team members can show up and be themselves. Um, and, and and it's it's really important. Right? It's really important. I I when I think about when I talk to people a lot about this topic. I often ask people to to raise their hand if they survived high school. And that always raises a little bit of a giggle. But I use the word survive very, very deliberately because it's a it's a it's a terrible time for, for most people because we're in that adolescent place where our body is changing, our voice is changing, we've got one foot in childhood, we've got one foot in adulthood. And we are doing our best at that time to fit in, to belong, to try and find our people. I remember as, a, as an overweight, uh, queer teen, I tried to fit in with the girls. I tried to fit in with the boys. I tried to fit in with the teachers. I tried to fit in with the geeky kids, the sporty kids, which definitely didn't work. And every time I tried to fit in with a different crew, I was dumbing down, I was suppressing an aspect of my personality or my behavior in order to be deemed acceptable by the others, whoever the others were. And of course, what happens in that is at some point, that which is suppressed becomes expressed. And those people that you've tried to fit in with see these aspects of you and they start to back away. And so ultimately, it's a futile act, this idea of, of suppressing aspects of ourselves because, um, well, yeah, because they get to see what really happens. And, and, and actually, it also takes an inordinate amount of psychological energy to be someone that you're not. Now, fast forward several years and, and the world of work, I think, has many parallels with the world of school. You bet it does. Right. So your boss, your boss at work is like, you know, the the principal or headmaster departments are are like classes and courses. And then, of course, the the teams and the, the people that you lunch with and the people that you don't lunch with at work are the cliques and, you know, uh, of, and the gangs of school. And so here we are at work and we and we do we go into work and we 
do the same thing. We cover up aspects of ourselves in order to be able to belong. And it's why single parents don't like to talk about their kids. Or it's if, pe if people, perhaps Muslim people that don't drink, don't want to talk about their religion. Queer people don't want to talk about their same-sex partner because it's not okay by the general system and we want to belong. And so all this time, it's almost like we're building up a second personality, a second version of ourselves. Um, and that takes this, that takes, like I said, an inordinate amount of energy to be able to sustain. And so the book really is all about if you can create a workplace that is trauma informed, that is that brings about psychological safety, that enables people to come to work and be themselves so that they belong. That energy that would otherwise be taken up, suppressing an aspect of who you are is available for relationships, for work, for productivity. And so those workplaces in which we can show up as ourselves, where we feel like we belong, not only do we feel better about working there, but ultimately they are higher performing, high, more, more productive, more profitable workplaces. I have always believed, I was in management years ago, and I've always believed that you, in order to bring the team together, you have to include everybody. And everybody's got to feel good about the efforts that you're making and feel rewarded and feel like it's okay to come to work rather than dreading com coming to work because of what's going on with, you know, whatever the situation is. And um, I, I'm amazed that there is not more of, I guess that would be a progressive uh, point of view, uh, but I, I'm amazed that, that there are not more companies that are saying, you know, this is just a better way of doing business. We want to eliminate turnover. We want to raise the the abilities of each person, and it takes time to get their training and to get everybody up and running. And uh, and but at the end of the day, we'll have a more inclusive, a better workforce, better product, like just like you said, better productivity, more profit, um, and and everybody can go home and be happy. And it shouldn't matter. You know, it's it's hard when you go to work every day. And you're right. When you go to work every day and you go home and you have to kick the dog before you <laughs> talk to your significant other because you don't want to bring that home and, and pollute that environment as well. So it's tough. Well, this, this is the, this is the, an interesting thing, right? The last two years, two and a bit years, I mean, we're starting to go back into the workplace now. But for two years, everyone, most people were working where they lived. And so there was there was a further I mean, I, I remember my my husband is a principal at, at a school. I remember we were working. I was in one room and David was in another room right next to me. And I could hear David having these conversations with his work with 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 their with their work colleagues. And I and I was like, I I, I was never meant to hear my husband at work. You know? <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I could, I could, I could feel myself wanting to be involved and like, you know, offer David some coaching about how to talk to people at work because our worlds get, our worlds got enmeshed. And so now people don't have a commute to be able to decompose from work. 
and they do they'll like, they don't get to kick the dog before they speak to their significant other because as soon oh. as the the last zoom calls the last zoom call finishes the door opens and the kids come rushing in or the partner comes rushing in there's no separation anymore oh i know and and the other and the other thing is you've heard of the uh the great resignation that's been going on i've i've heard of the great resignation i i have reframed it and called it the great realization kevin i think that's a better word for it that's about because people are realizing when they're when they were home and uh, to their own devices and they could get up whenever they wanted to and use a restroom or go get a cup of coffee or have lunch and they still got the job done but they were free and then to go back into a environment that is no not free and is full of all the things that you've just described a lot of people are saying nah, i don't think so I, i'm not going to deal with this anymore yeah yeah i think you know the pandemic and all of the all of the you know the raise in the rise in hate crimes and all of the that you know the the racial abuse that has been very well documented and publicized over the last couple of years i think has given rise to people asking themselves some fairly big existential questions and and how that relates to their their profession you know asking themselves am i doing what i want to do does it light me up do i get meaning and purpose from what i do and some people have answered no to that question and they've gone off and you know made a career change and some people have said yes what i'm doing is what i want to do so the next question they've asked themselves is where i'm doing it what i want to where i want to do it exactly do i belong here and when people have asked themselves that question and the answer has been no, they voted with their feet. So this great resignation, there isn't a shortage of talent. There's <clears> just, there is just a higher level of discernment amongst the talent. People are asking, they have greater demands of their employer nowadays, which is, Am I going to work? Am I? Am I? Do I? Am I going to feel like I belong here? And is my work bringing me meaning and purpose? And people want that these days. I'm a firm believer that everybody at one time in their life, and and please confirm or deny this for me, but I'm confirm. I'm. I believe that at one point in their life, everybody stops and says, "Crap, is this all there is? And what am I really supposed to be doing?" Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 to confirm or deny that, I would say definitely in my experience as a psychotherapist, when I'm working people with people across the lifespan, there is a moment in time, and it's kind of at that moment when the clock strikes noon and we move into the afternoon of our life, and um, and and that's a moment of reassessment. It's a moment. Um, and, and it used to be called the midlife crisis and it, there's hundreds of, you know, loads of names about it, but we're even hearing people talking about quarter life moments of reassessment. And so I think this, this idea of, I don't, I, I can make some choices. I can make some reassessments. I am in charge of my own career path. I am in charge of my own life is becoming increasingly um, accessible to people in ways that it, it wasn't, um, at, you know, in, in previous generations. In, I'll bring my dad up as an example. He was an executive for Nordstrom for 40 years. 
And in his world, he had buddies that changed jobs every three or four years, and they considered them to be unsuccessful. Look at that. He had to change jobs again. He's starting all over again. He's not getting to the top. He's not staying with the same company and the same. And to be fair, Nordstrom at that time rewarded my dad very handsomely for being there. But, mm-hmm. but he wasn't happy. So his whole life, he, he spent being being unhappy. And and that's not why we are here. When On your last day, when, you, when you've got the hospice people there and, and it's the last day of your life, and the last thing you want to have is regret that you didn't do with your life what you wanted to do. But a lot of people don't know how to go do that, which is why your your career and what you are doing for people is very, very important. Because a lot of people say, I don't know. I don't think I want to be doing this, but I don't know what to do or how to do it or how am I going to make a living and, and all that kind of stuff. So And so it's great to have a coach and a, 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 that can help you understand yourself and leadership and, and uh, the brand you want to create and, and who yes. you really are. That's, that's kind of your fundamental core work, isn't it? It is. It is. Yeah. And I, so I, as, as an executive coach, you know, I, I think um, a lot of people always ask, you know, what's the difference between coaching and therapy? And I say, well, there's a very fine line. And I think particularly with executive coaching. So when I'm working with senior leaders, CEOs, presidents, um, SVPs, VPs, there is a very fine line, I think, between coaching and, and therapy. And as a licensed therapist, as well as a, a, as a qualified coach, I know when the work is coming over onto the side of therapy, and I know how to ethically and carefully um, hold it and help the person to navigate back into the space of coaching. So, but one of the great things that I, I think about working with me as, as an executive coach is that I've got those credentials. And so, um, and I started out as a coach and there were those moments when I realized that my, my effectiveness, the potency with which I could work with people was hitting up against this line. And so I went and I, and I, and I trained and, um, and became licensed as a psychotherapist so that I could help my clients um, go a bit deeper with the work so that, and I often work with executives who are performing, you know, really great. And uh, coaching isn't remedial, right? It's 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 a it's a collaborative, co-creational process to help um, uh, people unleash their potential. And so, oftentimes, I'll work with people who have come to me because they're performing really well, they're at the top of their game, but they've got um, perhaps they're using some behaviors that are getting in their way or other people's way, or they've got a piece of feedback that's following them around that if they can just crack it, that then, then they will, you know, then, uh, then their performance is unleashed. And so what I, what I can do in a way that many other coaches can't do because of my psychotherapy credential is, is, is I'm able to plumb the depths a little bit and understand the beliefs and values that are underpinning those behaviors so that we can address them at source so that we can address them systemically. Because everybody's human and nobody is perfect. 
and uh, and and we tend to think that an executive he got to be an executive he must be pretty sharp pretty talented but or she there, or she or that that's true or she and a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of executives carry around some baggage either in their personal life or how they deal with their professional life and and stuff like that so it's 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 great to bring balance because that's the one thing that they were not taught. They yes. were taught to be a go-getter, to get to to work 60, 70, 80 hours a week yeah. and, and to get to the top. But they weren't taught balance on how to live their yeah. lives well. Is that right? I, I would agree. Am, am I allowed to swear on this show, Kevin? Yes, you are. Okay. So I, I, have, a, I have a theory that at, at some level we are all, as human beings, fucked, flawed, and broken. Right? We, we all are. But as a, as a senior executive, you're not allowed to show that. You're not no. allowed to be human. You have to be this, uh, I, I don't know, this kind of superhero. You've got to don a cape and put your underpants on outside of your trousers or your skirt, right? And 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 you've got to be this 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 person who's um, who's both vulnerable and strong at the same time. Who's both authentic but doesn't let their real feelings show at the same time and imposter syndrome is huge for for senior executives um and this this tension of needing to bring increasing amounts of humanity to your leadership while also at the same time this pressure to be perfect it's it's tough and it's lonely at the top and i know because i've been there you know i had a 20 before i had soul trained i had a 25 year career um, uh, in HR, learning and development, org psych, up to board and C-suite level. So I've sat around these tables, the same tables making the same decisions as my clients, and I know how tough it is. And so it's so important, I think, for executives to have a coach because it's lonely and, and it's important to have somebody, a safe space where you can process unpack explore um uh, all of the stuff that's going on for you in your world i have a good friend of mine he's in a he is a financial planner and he makes uh uh six figures or mid six figures doing what he does he has a financial coach because okay. as as i said well you know good god you're you're really successful he doesn't take clients who don't have a million dollar plus portfolio so i mean he's he's very successful at what he does and i said why are you uh, why do you need a financial coach and he said because i can't think outside myself <laughs> i i can't i can't look at somebody else's viewpoint of of me so i need somebody to help me do that so that i can be the best that i can be um which right. makes sense to me it does i mean look at Look at Olympic athletes. They don't have one coach. They have a team of coaches looking after them. And so then when I think about a, a CEO of a Fortune 500 company or a founder of a, of a scale-up, their performance, if they start to think of themselves in elite athlete terms, then not having a coach would seem like a really big business risk yes. that a CEO or a founder or anyone at C-suite or anyone leading a department 
or anyone leading a group to not have a coach seems mind boggling to me. Well, it's, it's certainly is an, an, an anti-intuitive because, because like, like, like you said, we can't, we can't know everything we're humans and we're going to make mistakes. We're going to have biases. We're going to have ideas that, that don't make any sense, but somehow we, you know, got it in our head. And so you need some, you need somebody that, and the other thing is, is that as, as an executive coach on the other side of it, you have the ability to affect change at the top and which can affect the entire organization. And that has to feel really good. It, it does feel it. If I, it feels good in terms of I'm, I feel like I'm working in my purpose. I believe that I am on this earth in this meat suit, in this incarnation to be a catalyst for other people's growth. So when I'm able to do that, then I, it feels damn good. And, um, I, I don't lose sight of the, the importance and uh, of and and the influence that I have. So, the the way in which I work is incredibly careful, in and 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 respectful, and I use a phrase ecological. So, really thinking about the wider impacts of the work that I'm doing with this executive, and knowing that it's like dropping a pebble in a pool, and that the ripple effects will happen. Indeed, and uh, and I, and I, I'm glad you're doing that. I wish you a lot of success because we need more in our country. I believe we need more enlightened leadership. Um, I would agree. <laughs> there is there is a lot of folks who got to the top, and they they got there a certain way. But times they be a changing. I think Bob Dylan wrote that song times they be a changing and they are changing rapidly now yes. um yes. and it needs to it needs to be i think it needs to be different i i i enjoy talking with you you must come back on a regular basis would you do that i would absolutely love to kevin it's it's fun it's fun to talk to you because you are an, a very educated man but you're also very down to earth and oh uh, that's kind of you thank you yeah I, I like to keep my feet on the floor. <laughs> well, you know, you got to. You got to <laughs> at one point. By the way, we're talking to DDS and go to Soul Trained. He is uh, soultrained.com. He's an executive coach and he also is an author. I find out more about you every time I talk to you. He's an author. <laughs> he's he's in school. He also teaches school. And so he's he's really well-rounded. Um and um uh, and is that, do you feel like that is part of your passion is to learn everything you can about the subject matter so that you can pass that on to the people that you work with? Yeah, I mean, it's it's really, really important to me, Kevin, that um, if I'm charging for a service, <laughs> that, that's, that that service is fucking good. Well, right? at least and there so, is that. And it, it is, I mean, and I think that comes from my background. My, my undergrad was in hospitality management. I grew up in a pub. So my kind of my service orientation is very, very dear to me. And so, yeah, I, I, when I'm, when I do a job, I want to make sure that I'm doing it bloody well. And so part of the qualifications that I have sought out and continue to seek out, 
um, is for me is about bolstering my experience um, and bringing my knowledge so that when I work with um, an individual or a group of individuals, um, I'm doing so expertly and I'm doing so carefully and I'm doing so in a way that makes sure that they are getting value for money. I personally believe, and if you're listening to this, I personally believe that everybody who's growing up should work in the hospitality industry at one point or another, <laughs> because you will yeah. learn that uh, you need the, that the aspects of service that uh, a lot of people have not <laughs> have given up on, or or they've never been exposed to it, or don't believe in it. I don't know what it is, but I can always tell somebody who's worked in the in the service industry because you care about people mm -hmm. much more than than others. I, I grew up in the service industry and 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 was in the restaurant business for like twenty years, and and uh, it was it was a great time. It's hard work. I can't yes. do it anymore. But, uh, you know, but what it teaches you is it doesn't matter because in the pub, you could have a guy who makes a million dollars a year sit next to a guy who's making six fifty an hour and you get to treat them the same. Isn't that cool? Isn't that cool? <laughs> because and, and, and you don't know who's who's rich and who's not, but they're, they're but you're trying to be nice and careful and and take care of everybody. And that's and what that's you do cool. know is that every everyone that walks through the door is that they're there for the same thing. They're there to enjoy themselves. They're there to relax and they're they they are there to spend their hard their hard earned money right they are they are coming in and this is the same with my executive coaching clients my consulting clients my my therapy patients they are giving me money right they're handing over money that they have earned in order to receive something back for that money and i take that very very seriously Oh, as, as I, I agree with you as well, you should, because, you know, it's like I, I always felt like when I was a general manager of a particular restaurant, I would tell everybody it's Friday night and we're going to have a party and mm. we're going to have a bunch of people that we have no, no idea who they are. They're going to come here because they want to have a good time with us. It's our job to give them that good time. And uh, if we can do that, then, by the way, they'll be appreciative and you'll make more money. And so it, it all goes, it all goes hand in hand working with each other. But, but that's, that's the thing that I think our society has lost a bit is it's humanity towards our fellow man and women. What do you think? Um, I mean, I think, I think humanity, um, I think, I think giving people the benefit of the doubt, I think assuming positive intent and I think I think remembering that everybody is doing the very best they can with the resources they have available to them at the time is the key to relationships um to being able to be successful whatever you determine successful as being I wish I'd have said that that's really good that's really good. But maybe that's why you're trained in this and you do what you do. <laughs> it's clear you thought about this a little bit. We all have our strengths, Kevin. And and sadly, we all have our weaknesses. 
And uh, <laughs> we have to learn to forgive ourselves for those and to accentuate. I got a question for you. I've, I've been asking about your people lately because I really would like an answer. And I don't know. Why is it that we as a human being downplay our gifts and accentuate our failings? Well, I mean, there, I, I have an answer. I don't know if it's the answer. I, I think I think I go back to that space of at some level, we're all fucked, flawed and broken. As Louise Hay would say, Louise Hay, who wrote the book, You Can Heal Your Life. She said at the bottom line for each of us is that we are not enough. And so at, at some level within us that we each carry around some dark thoughts about ourselves, some judgments about ourselves. And I think when we underplay our success and overplay our not success, it is a way of managing expectations. It's a way of managing our own disappointment in ourselves because we don't want other people to be disappointed in us either. So that's one explanation for why we do that. I think that's a great explanation because I, because I think you're right is that, that we're so used to having people tell us what we don't do well, that when somebody uh, rewards us or, or tells us that we do something extraordinarily well, we don't necessarily even believe them. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the idea, you know, when somebody pays you a compliment, you say, Oh, you, that's a lovely shirt you're wearing. And you say, Oh, this old thing or, <laughs> Oh, your hair, your hair looks great today. No one has said that to me in many years. Your hair looks great today. And somebody would say, oh, yeah, I washed it. So we, it's, it's almost like what I say to people is like someone's giving you a gift. Like imagine if that was an actual physical gift. Would you say, no, thanks, have it back? You know, it, and when somebody offers you, you know, a compliment, a justifiable compliment for some work that you've done and you and you downplay it, it's I, I really encourage people to stop and just say, just take that in and say thank you. Just the same way as you would when someone gives you a birthday present or a, or a, a gift at, at Christmas. I, I couldn't agree more. I have a good friend that uh, uh, whenever somebody gives her a compliment, she says, thank you. I receive that. Yeah. Um, and that that is a whole different dynamic. It, it, it really is. And that, that's really cool. Yeah. By the way, we've been talking with DDS and I'm sadly, I could talk to you for like, I don't know, hours. Uh, <laughs> but, but I've got to, I've got to wrap this up because I've got another one coming up right after this. And, uh, and, but I want you to, to give you a moment to tell our audience anything that you would like them to know our audience is listening now or in the future. Yeah, I mean, um, I would love to chat with you, um, you know, particularly if you're you're working in an organization um, where there are challenges with people, which, by the way, is every organization. Um, and if you're looking for an executive coach or if you're looking for executive coaches to work in your organization, um, if you're looking to think through some innovative approaches to leadership development, um, then get in touch, um, dds at soultrain.com. Go to the website, soultrained.com. Love to hear from you. And please buy the book. Yeah, exactly. And the name of the book is, again, You Can Be Yourself Here, Your Pocket Guide to Creating Inclusive Workplaces Using the Psychology of Belonging by DDS Dobson-Smith. Didn't they tell you that that was a long title? When you... They did, and I didn't care. <laughs> good for you 
<laughs> because it's you you have to at, at a certain point in time um you have to not care what other people think right well and then and, and maybe kevin heart. we can have a we can have another like another conversation because the second book is out in september and that's called um leadership is a behavior not a title your pocket guide to being a leader worth following i love that I love that. Absolutely. You need to come back uh, uh, on or about that time, and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about the second book that you've got out. Right. Not that you've got so much time, mind you, but uh, <laughs> you, you're, you're a busy dude, man. Well, it's a pleasure talking with you, so I will come back. I appreciate it. And uh, you're, an, you're an awesome man, and, you, and you're working to make, on your website someplace, it says that you're working to make a change in a billion people. That's a bit of a goal, but it's a, it happens to be the same goal I have. So nice. I love working with people like you. Nice. So if you'll wait right there, I will be right back. Thanks for enjoying this episode all the way to the end. Please give us a like and subscribe to this channel. This has been a production of KMmedia.pro. Please visit our website, oddly enough, named KMmedia.pro for more details about us and our mission, which is to provide great, positive programming designed to inspire us all. I'm Kevin McDonald, and I'm proud of these shows, and I truly hope that you'll like them and share them with friends and family. So on behalf of our entire team, remember, be kind to each other, because each other's all we